All right, good evening. Welcome to the mine. We are so glad that you are here tonight. All right. We got a great evening planned for you folks. Let me just say by way of a couple things of introduction. First of all, I know it was hot in here last week. I know it was crowded in here last week. We are, you know, attempting to try some different things. Uh, here's my best, I guess, encouragement. If you keep coming and packing this room out, we're going to have another place to meet. All right? That's what I can tell you. So just keep, keep inviting people. Keep coming. Keep packing the place out. Uh, we may be in a different place. All right? You just keep praying about that. Okay? Um, hey, it's great. The second week of the mine, and we are just thrilled to have Brian Wurzel with us tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as many of you know, Seth usually does our worship in the mind, but he's got a lot going right now, and Brian just so graciously said, Jeff, I'll step up and fill in for Seth the next couple of weeks. Uh, let me just say real quick, and I know I shared some things about Seth last week, but I, I want to take this opportunity before Brian comes and just gets us focused on the Lord tonight in worship, that this young man uh, is not only obviously a great musician, great vocalist, all those things that... You know, talent-wise, he's right there, but he loves God, and he lives for God every day, and it is a privilege to be on staff with him and to work uh, for the glory of the Lord with someone like Brian, and we're just so glad that he could be here with us, and let's give Brian a warm mind welcome tonight for being here. Brian? Wow. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Brian. Yes. All right, guys. Romans chapter 1. Just want to go back there for just a second this evening before we dive into Romans chapter 2. Here's what I want to start out with tonight. Key verse of Romans. Romans chapter 1, verse 4. We looked at it last week. God has declared or appointed Jesus Christ, the Son of God with power, as sort of the horizon line of history. He is the defining line, the dividing line of history. We know that even in the way we tell time, as we shared B.C., A.D., Jesus Christ divides history. Well, when God brought Jesus Christ onto the scene, He truly became the defining person of mankind. He became the defining person of history. And Paul points that out here in Romans 1, 4 when he says that Jesus Christ was appointed the Son of God with power or declared. That word in the Greek is the word horizo. It's where we get the word horizon from. And literally God is saying that Jesus Christ is the very defining person of history. And every person who's ever been born is going to be defined by their relationship to Jesus Christ. This whole study of Romans is about what does a life defined by God look like? Well, we all know that however we are related to Jesus Christ is certainly going to define our lives. And, and the other thing that we pointed out last week was that Jesus Christ isn't just to be a part of our life. He isn't just to be something that's sort of tacked on with everything else. He is to be our life. I mean, Paul said in Philippians 1.21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For Paul, living was Christ. 
Life is what we are alive to. Paul was alive to Jesus Christ. He is his life. In, in Colossians, Paul told the Colossians, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then we will appear with Him in glory. So all the way through the Bible, the Bible talks about the fact that not only is Jesus Christ sort of the defining person of history, the defining line of history, the horizon, the, the thing, the line, the imaginary line that separates the earth from the sky, but He is also our very life. And our life will be defined by Him. Uh, whether we welcome it or whether we don't, but our life will be defined by Jesus Christ. But the other cool thing we saw, especially for Christians last week in Romans 1, and this is a key theme that runs throughout, is notice in verse 4, He has appointed the Son of God in or with power. And that word power is a key word in the book of Romans. That's why Paul says in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel of God, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And we saw last week that this book is not written to unbelievers, it's written to believers. And, and most of what Paul writes in this book is not actually written to unbelievers to try to introduce them to Jesus and bring them into a right relationship with God. We saw there in verses 7 and 8 that he's writing to mature Christians whose faith has been spread throughout the world. And he's telling them, listen, this Jesus Christ who not only is your life is also your power for living life. Because even after we come into a relationship with God, and even after we've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, we still have to live out this life until we get to glory. And so Paul is saying, where do I get the power to be able to live my everyday life as a Christian? That power comes from Jesus Christ. You know, one of the cool things about what makes this book so powerful is because God knew that Rome at this time in history was really the center of the world. And, and, if, and if something was going to take hold in Rome, it was going to impact the entire world because all roads lead to Rome at this time and all roads lead out of Rome. And Paul and God knew that if they could establish a growing, mature group of believers in Rome, that that would just spread out as it did in verse 8 to all the world and, and, and how it made an impact. And so Paul is saying, so folks... You can be a great testimony to the rest of the world as people watch Rome and watch the Christians in Rome who are navigating, who are not only accepting Christ as their Savior and have a relationship with God, but then who navigate everyday life with the power of God rather than their own power. That's huge. And that was the main thing that came out uh, last week that we wanted to get across is you and I never have to live our life one second in our own power. God's power is there constantly and continually to help us walk us through life and everything that hits us in life. And that's one of the main themes that comes in the book of Romans. Now, I want you to come down into chapter 2 for tonight. In chapter 2, I want to begin this way. I'm sort of going to look at defining life from a negative perspective. What? I'll say it this way. We are not defined as far as God is concerned, by what we are and by what we have. Now, that's the way the world and maybe our culture and maybe society defines people. You and I are defined by what occupation or vocation we have. We are defined by the things that we have, by what we possess and all of that. That may be the, what, the way the world defines us. But when you come to Romans chapter 2, 
the main message that God wants to get, to get across to His people is don't let other people define you that way and don't you define yourself that way because I'm not defining you that way. I'm defining you by your heart. Bottom line, by your heart and the condition of your heart and how you will allow me to shape your heart. Not by what you are and not by what you have. You see, I'm not going to take time tonight to read all of chapter 2, but, but here's the problem. As you begin to read chapter 2, you find out that these folks, uh, many of them were caught up in who they were. They were Jews. They were Gentiles. Uh, they were circumcised. They were uncircumcised. Uh, they were religious. They had all these external rituals and things that they went through. They may have even been possessors of the law. And, and Paul is saying to them, folks, that's not really what defines you. What defines you is what's on the inside. What defines you and I is what's the condition of our heart at this moment before God. And let me just say, after that time of worship, I hope that all of us for the rest of tonight, if we don't do anything else, that we leave here tonight, just by the time we leave, we say, God, here's my heart. Here is my heart. Notice what he says here, beginning in chapter 2. Therefore, you are without excuse, whoever you are, when you judge someone else, for in whatever grounds you judge another, you condemn yourself, because you who judge practice the same things. Because again, they're looking at comparing themselves with other people by trying to define their life, by who they are in comparison with others, by what they are, by what they have. And notice what Paul says. Verse 2. We know that God's judgment is in accordance with truth against those who practice such things. In other words, it's not about defining my life by what it's, it's about truth. And it's about truth in the innermost part of my being. It's about finding truth in my heart. And God looks at the heart. You know, man looks at the outward appearance of things. God looks at the heart. And all the way through chapter 2, you have these people who are so caught up in religious ritual and external uh, ceremony and all these things that they're doing to try to either be, uh, get themselves to God or somehow to make themselves spiritual or whatever. And God says, folks, it's all about letting Jesus Christ define your life and letting His power every day define your life and letting your heart define your life and letting God have our heart on an everyday basis. In fact, since I just... Go back to the... Keep your finger there in Romans 2. These verses, I can't help them. They pop into my head. 1 Samuel chapter 16. All the way back to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. If you don't know where that is, that's okay. I'm going to read it to you anyway. 1 Samuel chapter 16. This is where Samuel is going to anoint David as king. And if you know the story, you know that David was the youngest. He wasn't the, the tallest. He wasn't the most muscular of all his brothers and all of that. And Samuel's going through all the brothers and everything. And he's going, is it him, God? Is it him, God? No, it's not him. Why not God? It looks like he'd be the king. He's the biggest one, you know. He's the stoutest one. He's the tallest one, whatever. And God finally had to tell Samuel the prophet this in verse 7. God says, don't be impressed by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Notice, here's the key. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. God does not view things the way men do. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. But you see, here's the key. That's how we're defined with God. 
We are not defined and we cannot let other people define us by what we are and what we have but by our heart. Because notice what the next phrase says. People look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? The heart. And God is looking at your heart and my heart tonight. He's saying that's what defines you. The condition of your heart and how you're going to allow me to shape the heart. Because here's the problem. Man tries to sometimes clean himself up and tries to what we call go through reformation where we clean ourselves up from the outside in. God says that doesn't work. It may work for a time, but it doesn't work over the long haul. The only thing that works is transformation where God takes our heart, changes our heart from the inside out. That's the way God works. That's why we need to be transformed by God rather than trying to be reformed by us or by religion or by someone else. And it all goes back to this. God doesn't care about the outward appearance. Listen, when God made us, He made us out of what? The dust of the ground. So that we wouldn't focus, so that our focus and our, our, our you know, attention wouldn't be on the outward Because this outward part of me, it's going to fade away one day. It's going to be laid into the ground one day. But what the real Jeff Royce is going to live on. Because it can't die. You see? And that's the part God focuses on. In fact, they've told us that if you were to uh, sort of calculate how much a human body costs, as far as what it's made up of, it costs about ten bucks. Now... That doesn't mean that that's the value God places on us. Because again, God just looks at this body as a shell. God says, but you are of infinite value to me because you are an eternal soul. And I want to have a relationship with you because I created you in my image. And I'm looking at the heart, which is the real value that you have. I'm not as concerned about the outward appearance, but we know we live in a world that is. Go over to the Gospel of Matthew. We're just going to peruse a little bit here. Matthew chapter 15. Because I think this point is so important. I want, to, I want to settle on this point a little bit tonight. It's a very important point because, folks, we live in a world that's trying to push us into a mold that says, you need to pay attention to the outward more than the inward. And you can let the inward go and, and just care about the outward. And God says just the opposite. God says, no, we need to care more about the inside than the outside. In fact, let me just say, we're doing this on Tuesday night at least for a while because it's hot in here and it's uncomfortable in here. And if it was about us caring about the outside, but we're trying to get our insides filled up on Tuesday night. And that's a cool thing. Notice what Jesus said here in Matthew 15, beginning at verse 10. Then he called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand what defiles a person is not what goes into the mouth. It is what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Then the disciples came to him and said, Do you not know that when the Pharisees heard this saying, they were offended? And he replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father did not plant will be uprooted. Leave them. They are blind guides. If someone who is blind leads another who is blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, and let's, let me just, i got to say something about that. And it's sobering, it's sad, but there's a lot of blind leading the blind today. That's why we need this book and we need the knowledge of this book so that we have God's discernment. So that we don't get led astray by others who are spiritually blind trying to lead us. And then we both fall into the pit. 
But Peter said to him, explain this parable to us. Jesus said, even after all this, are you still so foolish? Don't you understand that whatever goes into the mouth enters the stomach and then passes out into the sewer? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. Whoa. Let's stop right there. Again, what defines us? Our heart. Because guess what? What we say is really showing what's in our heart. And that's what God looks at. And that's why God says, give me your heart. Offer me your heart. Let me shape your heart because that's what defines you. And I'll give you the power that you need, but I, I want you to willingly offer me your heart. For out of the heart come evil ideas, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are the things that defile a person. It is not eating with unwashed hands that defile a person. You see, even in Jesus' day, just like in Paul's day here to the Romans, for them it was all about the externals. You know, And it wasn't, un, it wasn't a lack of hygiene when Jesus says here they didn't wash their hands. It was They had so many ceremonies that they had to wash their hands like ten times before they could do something. And Jesus says, really? Is that really where the focus of your life is? Are you really going to go through all that even though your heart may be far from me? Do you not realize it's your heart that I'm after and not all this external you know, stuff? I'm, I'm after the inward reality here. I, I want to grab a hold of your heart. I want you to surrender your heart to me. And, and, and it, again, we are so focused on, well, the externals influenced me. Listen, they are only going to have as much power over us as the condition of our heart. If we have a strong heart and we are strengthened in our heart and in holiness, then by God's power, those things won't be as tempting to us. But if our heart is weak and our heart is consumed with the things of the world, then when those things come, then our heart will go after them. Our hands will go after them because our heart turned first. And that's why God says, give me your heart. One other, if you go over to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians, chapter 3. Paul nails it here to the Philippians as well. Because here's what Paul says. He says, you guys are so worried about what you are, about your pedigree, about your degrees, and all this kind of stuff. You know? I mean, the Greeks always were worshiping wisdom and knowledge. So like today, you could see that for the Greek, if a person had five PhDs behind their name, man, it's like, whoa, wow, you know. And you know what? God looks at their heart. He doesn't care about the five PhDs. Those degrees don't mean anything to God. Because He looks past those degrees, what we have, who we are, what we are, and what defines us is the heart. And folks, the heart to God is not this beating physical organ that keeps blood pumping through our system. To God, the heart is the very center of our, of our will and our emotions and our, our reasoning system, if you will. And that's why God says, give me your heart, because out of the heart are the issues of life. Because really when it comes down to it, the choices and decisions we make are because of the heart. That's what Jesus said. It's out of the heart that these things happen. So give me your heart. So Paul got tired of all these pedigrees and things, and he wrote this to the Philippians. Begin in chapter 3, look at verse 3. 
Paul says, we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, exalt in Christ Jesus, and do not rely on human credentials. Though mine too are significant. He says, okay, if you want to do a, a credential test, I'll do one with you just to humor you. If someone thinks he has good reason to put confidence in human credentials, Paul says, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day from the people of Israel and from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I lived according to the law as a Pharisee. In my zeal for God, I persecuted the church. According to the righteousness stipulated in the law, I was blameless. In other words, in our modern vernacular, Paul would say, I was the most religious, spiritual person you could ever run into. I had all the religious trappings. I talked a good talk. I had all the Christianese down. I carried a big Bible to church. And I, I had all the verses memorized. And I had all this. Paul's saying it was all about the externals. But God didn't have my heart. And if God didn't have His heart, notice what Paul says. These assets... These things that were so once important to me and important to other people, I have come to regard liabilities because of Christ. More than that, I now regard all things as liabilities compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Indeed, I regard them as dung that I may win Christ. Wow. Wow. Paul says those things don't matter. All that matters is Christ and letting Him define my life and letting Him give me the power to live life. In fact, Paul goes on to say that. Notice in verse 10, my aim is to know Him, to experience the power of His resurrection, to share in His sufferings, to be like Him in His death, and on and on. What a great passage of Scripture. Paul says, I came to realize all the human credentials and stuff that were important to me at one time and important to others, it meant nothing before God because my heart wasn't there. God wanted my heart. Back to the book of Romans then, chapter 2. That's why Paul says then in Romans chapter 2, when God evaluates our life, verse 2, it's going to be in accordance with truth. Because God's going to look at the heart. God's not going to care about all these games that we outwardly play. We can fool other people, folks, for a while. And in fact, we can maybe even fool other people for a long time, but we can never fool God. And so that's why God says, don't play games with me. Let's be transparent. Let's be real. Let's have some inward reality. And let's start working on the heart. You'll notice also in verse 6 of chapter 2, he also says that judgment's going to be according to works. Because again, what we do with our hands and our legs and our eyes and all those things come out of the heart. And then God says also later on, verse 11, there's no partiality with God. You see, part of the problem here in chapter 2 and, and uh, on in verse 17 was also these people that Paul taught, were talking to in, in Rome at that time thought that they were going to be the exception to the rule. I'm going to be able to either fool God or I'm going to be able to like do all these things outwardly even though I don't inwardly need to really have my heart changed and somehow it's going to be different for me. And, and you know, our human heart, the Bible says, apart from God is so deceitful. You know, And if we listen to our human heart without God putting a perspective on it, 
oh my goodness, our human heart's going to just deceive us. I, I will never forget, you know, you just think that human beings, you know, that there comes a point where we should not, I don't know what the word is, maybe test God or whatever, but last week, with all those storms coming through and hurricanes and whatever, I was watching the news one night and they're interviewing this gal and she's standing on the beach and she goes, yeah, I heard there's a hurricane coming. I've never been through one, but I'm just going to stay here. It's not going to hurt me. So you think you're the exception, right? That all those people who died in New Orleans and who die in storms every year, you know, that happened to them. But as we all know, it's never going to happen to me, right? I'm going to be the exception. Somehow, I'm going to be able to live my life this way. And then when all is said and done, God's somehow just going to go, well, that's okay. Remember what Paul said? No, no, no. Because it's according to truth. And God knows our heart. And there's not going to be any exceptions. Because God knows reality. He knows what the real score of the game is. And so we've got to stop trying to play games. In fact, notice, I love this passage here when he's talking to the Jew and trying to chide the Jew. Whenever the Jew says, I got the law and I'm, I'm keeping the law. And, and Paul says, that's good. But you're not keeping the law as well as you think you're keeping the law. And you boast in the law, but you break the law because you can't keep it perfectly. And then in verse 14 of Romans 2, he says, whenever the Gentiles who do not have the law, in other words, the Old Testament scriptures, like the Jewish people do, do by nature the things required by the law. These who do not have the law are a law to themselves. They show that the work of the law is written in their hearts as their conscience bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or else defend them. In other words, he's saying even people who don't know God and don't have the scriptures have a conscience. And even depending upon how we respond to our conscience. That shows where our hearts at, because that's one of the reasons why God gave us a conscience. And so it could be some kind of moral compass and moral barometer, even for those who don't know God. Now, the cool thing is, for Christians, we have three moral barometers once we know Christ. We not only have our conscience, but we have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. And then we've got the Bible. So it's hard for us to say, well, God, I didn't really know, you know. (laughs) And here's another point. Just because we don't know the law, if we break the law, doesn't mean we're not responsible. I can't be going down the highway and get pulled over by a policeman and he goes, uh, speed limit was such and such. And I go, well, I didn't know that was the speed limit. Oh, I'm sure he's going, oh, you didn't know? Okay, well, we won't give you a ticket then, you know. And then I love this. Verse 16. There's coming a day when God will judge the secrets of human hearts. According to my gospel through Christ Jesus. It's not going to be Jeff Royce gets compared to somebody else and, well, Jeff looks pretty good compared to him. No. The standard is God. And God's going to even see those secrets. And that's why the heart is so important, folks. Because God sees all that. And so Paul's cutting through all the muck in Rome and saying, look, folks, You want to know what a life defined by God looks like? First of all, it's a life. It's just totally wrapped up in Jesus Christ. He is my life. And then as I move from that, it's a life of power. 
As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.20, the kingdom of God is not an idle talk, but with power. And there's a power that exudes from a life where God is just empowering and strengthening us as we walk through this life. And it's a life where we are allowing God to have our heart and not to focus on the outward stuff, but to focus on what's really important to God and therefore should be important to us. Notice as he moves on here in verse 17. He says, you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast of your relationship to God and know His will and approve all these things. You're convinced that you're a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an educator of the senseless, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the essential features of knowledge and of the truth. Therefore, you who teach someone else, do you not teach yourself? In other words, he says, again, you're boasting that you have this, but are you living consistent with it? The answer is no. And he goes down and asks them six questions. And basically it's no. And then he goes, and you're all caught up about this circumcision thing that's an external right. Is that really more important than the condition of your heart? And notice in verse 27, he says, And will not the physically uncircumcised man who keeps the law judge you who despite the written code and circumcision transgress the law? In other words, what's really more important? Again, all these external rituals and rules that I'm trying to keep or just letting God have my heart. But someone is a Jew who is one inwardly. That's a key verse, verse 29. And circumcision is of the heart by the spirit and not by the written code. This person's praise is not from people, but from God. See, That's the most important perspective. Because again, I can fool other people. I can live a life to try to be a people pleaser and I can get pats on the back from people and go, oh, you're so wonderful, this, that, the other thing. But what's God really think? What's God really think? We get so caught up even in Christendom about what other people think and wonder what they're thinking and how much time do we spend thinking about what God really thinks and guess what? And God knows the heart. That's what chapter 2, folks, is all about. It's all about the heart. It's all about giving God my heart. It's about focusing on my heart and allowing God to shape my heart as the potter shapes the clay. Say, God, here it is. This is where it all comes from. This is where it all starts. It's the core of my being. You may say, what works on our heart? What helps get us to that point? Let me show you. Keep your finger there in Romans and go over to the book of Hebrews. You guys knew I was going to eventually turn to Hebrews. For those of you that don't know, Hebrews is my favorite book of the Bible. In Hebrews chapter 4, look at verse 12 and 13. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. Paul says, For the Word of God is living and active. Folks, When we come on Tuesday night to the mine, we are allowing the living and active Word of God to do a spiritual surgery on us every Tuesday night. And it's cool. I mean, yeah, it may be a little painful. No surgeries without pain. In fact, I loved it a few years ago when they told me I was going in for gallbladder surgery. They said, well, we don't have to open you up like we used to. We just have to do the little laser surgery. It's not bad. I want to tell you, it still hurts. It's not like, you know, you get up and go, oh, it's no big deal. It hurts. Any kind of surgery hurts. 
But notice, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing even to the point of dividing soul from spirit and joints from marrow. It is able to notice, judge the desires and thoughts of the what? The heart. See, that's the great thing about this book. It's a supernatural book that can get right to the, right to the heart of the matter. Yeah. Because here's what happens a lot. Just like us going to the physical doctor. All we care about is the relieving of symptoms. I just, doctor, just give me something to relieve my symptoms. I don't really care about actually getting rid of the problem so they don't just get rid of the symptoms. You know? And God says, but don't you understand that if you just give me your heart and you allow my word to work in your heart and on your heart, I can do such a spiritual surgery that you won't even be suffering from a lot of those symptoms anymore. Because I'm going to change your heart. I'm going to purify your heart. I'm going to create in you a clean heart. And and we're going to start thinking differently and acting differently and talking differently. Because again, we've already seen it out of the heart is when the mouth speaks. All these things. And then notice verse 13. And no creature is hidden from God, but everything is naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must render an account. Again, we may somehow think we're going to be an exception to the rule that we somehow think that we can fool God, that we can play games, that we won't reap what we sow, that somehow I will plant orange seeds and apple trees are going to pop up. And God says, no. I'm very consistent. If you in your life plant orange seeds, you're going to get orange trees. You're not going to get anything different than what you sow. And so that's why Paul says to the Romans, sow to the Spirit. If you sow spiritual things, he says you'll reap spiritual things. But if you and I sow to the flesh, we will reap fleshly things. Things that will destroy us and and frustrate us and cause us a lot of pain and suffering. And, and again, going back to last week, remember, God wants us to, to get away from the temporal consequences of our sin. He doesn't want us to suffer the temporal consequences of our sin. That's why through His power, He wants to break the power of sin in our life and protect us from the temporal consequences of our sin. Because God says, even though you're my child and I have forgiven you and you have a home in heaven, if you sin against me, even while you're here on earth, you still have to suffer the temporal consequences. And I don't want you to have to go through that pain. Nor do I want other people around you to have to absorb that pain. Because as we shared last week, we don't sin in a vacuum. My sin affects everyone around me and yours does too. Back to Romans. Before we move on, for the few minutes we have left, Sorry, I just had to get that off my chest tonight. (laughs) But let me say this. I'm going to open it up here in just a a minute for comments or questions. Let me say that as I approached, I approached tonight, that I I had to spend some time with God, even just today. I mean, I had to spend a lot of time in the weeks leading up to this tonight, but I had to spend some time with God today because... The last couple days, my heart has not been right before God. And I had to get some things 
between me and my God squared away before I stood before you guys tonight as well. And we all need to do that. We just need to give God our heart. And we need to just say, God, shape my heart like the potter shapes the clay. That's what I hope will happen tonight in all of our lives as we leave this place. I guarantee you, you show me a group of people this size even, even this size, who says, God, here's my heart. I want to tell you, God can turn the world upside down with a group of people this size who says, here's my heart. Here's my heart. He did it with 70. There's more than 70 in this room. There's probably about three times that. So, pretty cool. Comments, questions before we move on? Yeah, Mike. In our study of Genesis, we talked about the fact that it wasn't so much when Adam and Eve bit into the apple that sin occurred, but when they first decided in their hearts mm-hmm. that they were going to bite into the apple that sin occurred. And I know that a lot of times I kid myself by thinking, well, I didn't do something, but I may have thought about it in my heart. So your message tonight really brings a message to me that I've got to really watch my heart. I've got to protect my heart because even though I don't physically do something, if it's in my heart, haven't I pretty much done it? Yeah. That's why Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount said to uh, us, he said, "You, you say that if you commit adultery... You know, you've sinned. But I say if you look on a woman to lust who's not your wife, you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. I look at the heart. That's why we've got to have a clean heart before God. That's out of our heart. Because here's what happens. If I let my heart go and I keep allowing my heart to lust, pretty soon, as Lynn has so eloquently put it through our sermon series here, it doesn't stay at the lust level. It's going to get fleshed out at some point. In a negative way. I can't control that. I think I can. But you remember the illustration. He poured dust into his gas tank. Or dirt. To try to illustrate the fact that it's foolish to think that somehow we can, we can keep a lid on this. No, we can't. No, we can't. Jeremiah 17.9 The heart is deceitful above all things. You see, the human heart left to itself will deceive us every time. That's why we need God's help to give us the proper perspective on our heart and to give Him our heart and to recognize that everything has its root at our heart. That's where it is. By the time we actually do the deed, it's already been done here. It's already been thought of here. And that's why we've got to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And we do it at the heart level. The heart level. That's where God wants to meet us. Not at the external level. Not at the external level. That's what these people were so caught up with. Looking religious. External ceremony. All these rites and washing of hands and all this. And God says, what good is that if your heart's far from me? In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 15.8, You honor me with your lips, but your heart's far from me. And I know your heart. And you can go around saying, I love God. I love God. I love God. God sees our heart. God sees our heart. Yeah. Six and ten talk about doing good deeds and, and being rewarded based upon that. When we've been talking about the heart, is, is there a combination then? If you have a good heart, then the results are that you do, do good deeds. Are the people that do good deeds 
does he still need to look at their heart? Is there a combination here? Because it doesn't really say that right there. No, that's an excellent question, Roger. And I think I want to answer it this way, to try to keep it in the context of the argument of the book of Romans. I do think, his question was, what about like in verse 6 and 10 of chapter 2 where it talks about us being rewarded according to, to works and stuff and works, the outward manifestations, how does that then tie in with our heart? I, I will say this. Does our heart obviously affect our actions and what we do? Certainly. And, and, and here's the other thing. God not only looks at our actions, but he even looks at our motivations behind our actions. And God says even our motives to him are just as important as what we do. So if we do the right thing, but we do it for the wrong reason... Again, because it goes back to the heart. But in this context, to be consistent with the argument of the book of Romans, I think if you study that whole from like verse 5, where he talks about their stubborn and unrepentant heart and storing up wrath for themselves, that what he's talking about in the context is this. These people were convinced that by keeping the law and doing enough good deeds, they'd be in with God. And he says, okay, you know what? You go for it. You live your life just doing all these good deeds and you just work, work, work and you live up to the law as much as you can possibly live. I'm telling you, he says, at the end of the day when all is said and done, if your heart has not been given to Jesus Christ, all of that is not. In fact, that's why then, you'll notice, just to, to show, show you this, that's why in chapter 3, he basically spends all of chapter 3 telling these people, don't buy that philosophy. Because notice in chapter 3, verse 20 of Romans, he says, no one is declared righteous before him by the works of the law. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin, but not the power to overcome sin. And that's why people who say, I'm trying to be a good Christian, or I'm trying to be good enough, or I am a pretty good moral person, fall short. Because God says in chapter 3, verse 10, there's no one righteous. And I'm not looking for somebody pretty good. You see, to have a relationship with the almighty, holy God of the universe, I've got to be righteous. Well, it doesn't matter how good I try to be, I can never be righteous, which means I need a righteousness outside of myself in order to have a relationship with God. Where does that righteousness come from then? Paul answers that in Romans chapter 3. Notice, very emphatic, verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God, which is attested by the law and the prophets, in other words, it's been talked about in the Old Testament, has been disclosed. Namely, the righteousness of God through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but they are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Praise God! I never have to worry about being good enough and having enough self-righteousness to stand before God because no amount of Jeff Royce's self-righteousness will ever never measure up. But here's God hanging on the cross telling me later that I did that for you so that you would never have to try to do enough good things and live by the law and, and be good enough. I'm going to give you my righteousness instead. 
And it's not just a matter when we become a Christian of having our sins forgiven, as we said, which we always focus on. My sins are forgiven. My sins are forgiven. Yeah, but God also gives us His righteousness the moment we accept Christ. So that I am no longer clothed in my self-righteousness, which will never measure up to God and never get me a relationship with God and never get me into heaven. But I am clothed in the righteousness of the precious Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. That's why I can stand before God. Because I have a righteousness that is not mine. In fact, notice, I just want to point this out. This is a great passage of Scripture that Paul takes us to the courthouse, to the slave market, and to the temple with three words. In verse 24, he says that we are justified freely by His grace. That word justified means to declare righteous. And it's like I'm standing before a judge, I'm guilty, and the judge says, not guilty. And the reason why God can say not guilty is, again, not because anything I have done, but because what the Son of God has done. And that's why Paul says he can be God, both the just and the justifier, because he did punish sin. He put that punishment on his son, Jesus Christ. He didn't just wink at sin. He didn't just shove it under the rug. He poured out his wrath upon his own son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. So there was a penalty paid for my sin. Jesus Christ took that penalty, so I never would. So God declares me righteous because of Christ's righteousness. Because by faith, I accept Christ's righteousness. That's taking me to the law court. Then in verse 24, he takes me to the slave market. Because notice he uses the word redemption. The word redemption is when they would go to the slave market and buy a slave and say, I'm setting you free. You are no longer a slave. And if you want to be a slave, you're my slave. But when when you're a slave of Jesus Christ, we all know if the Son sets you free, you're free. And God wants to set His children again free from the bondage of sin. And so He uses that slave market term because that was a very vivid picture to these folks. They would walk by slave markets every day. They would see people being bought and sold as slaves. And God says, I'll set you free through the redemption that's found in my son, Jesus Christ. And then verse 25, he takes us to the temple. Because Paul says, God publicly displayed him, Jesus, at his death as the mercy seat, as the propitiation accessible through faith. That fancy word propitiation is really the word mercy seat. When the high priest would go into the temple once a year and sacrifice for the sins of the people, he would place the blood upon the mercy seat as the payment for sin. It was a way of looking forward to the ultimate sacrifice, the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ who came and poured out His very precious blood so that again you and I could have a relationship with Him. That's why Paul then says in verse 28, we consider that a person is declared righteous by faith apart from the works of the law. Amen. So glad I don't have to work for it. I just have to accept it. And then once I accept it, God says, now, I not only have brought you into my family, and you're one of my children, but now every day I'm going to give you the power to live like one of my children. That's super. That's what Romans is all about. Sorry, I get to go ahead. All right. Comments, questions. Yes. I just had a quick question about the judgment part. Yes. Um, how is it in a marriage or with family members that you can 
is it wrong to express expectation or judgment upon their contribution in a relationship or something of that nature where two parties are coming together? Is that passing judgment on them? And is it better to just pray for a change of heart than it is to verbally express the desire for the actions to be changed? Both. It's okay to express expectations in a relationship. And it's okay to pray that that person's heart would be changed. Because again, going back to what we said, a person can outwardly conform to a measure of behavior, but if their heart really isn't there, then they're not there. And is it really then meaningful? In other words, I don't want my wife Lisa to go home with me tonight just because she feels that's what she has to do. (laughs) Yeah, got to go home with Jeff, you know. I want her to do that because she wants to. Because her heart's there with me. And we, we share that together. So it's both. And it's okay. Again, don't, don't go so far as God expects His people to have discernment. And to be able to make judgments. To be able to make decisions based upon what they see. Now where God says we cannot cross is we can't look into a person's heart. So therefore, we should never judge somebody's motive, even though we think we know what their motive is. We shouldn't go there. Because that kind of information that's only on the inside is only privy to God. But I can certainly judge people's actions. I am commanded to do that, in fact. In fact, that's why our whole justice system, even in our you know, uh, system, is set up of laws and, and stuff. Because if somebody breaks the law... Somebody needs to be set up to be able to judge that behavior and then they have to pay the consequences for it. There has to be that kind of judgment. And if anybody should have discernment and judgment about godly character and things like that, it should be Christians. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1, we have the mind of Christ. We should above everyone have discernment. Again, so that we are not led astray by the blind who's trying to lead the blind. Yes. Oh, definitely. I think the Bible teaches uh, in the Psalms. The psalmist writes, keep your heart. In other words, and guard your heart. And all those words along with heart. And it really is a, a daily giving up of my heart. And when I start to see my heart drifting away from God, I need to bring my heart back and focus upon Him. And one of the best ways to do that is to get into the Word of God that sinks down deep into the recesses of my heart and sort of gives me a a spiritual chiropractic adjustment, if you will, and gets me readjusted. That's why worship is important. Because if my heart starts to stray away from God, God can readjust my focus through worship. That's why, listen folks, the two greatest commandments are what? Love the Lord your God with all your what? And love your neighbor as yourself. And it all comes out of this. So again, I can't even, yeah, I, you know, the, the greatest commandment of loving the Lord with all my heart, I have to check my heart every day. And it is a process, just like I was sharing. I, I allowed my heart to drift away from God a little bit. I had to take an attitude adjustment, even today. And I had to say, God, here's my heart again. Here's my heart again. Created me a, a right heart with you. So yeah, it is. And it's something, though, that I want us to focus on because as I shared tonight, this is what really defines us, folks. Not the external. Focus on the heart and the heart attitude and and our heart with God. That's where the rubber meets the road, as we say. The externals will take care of themselves if the heart is right with God. Leave here saying, God, here's my heart. Shape my heart. 
as you will. Guys, I hate to wind it down, but let's close in prayer. You all have been wonderful. Uh, We're going to pick it up next week. Can I just say thank you for packing in again tonight? Keep packing it in. Guys, I'm telling you, they're going to hear you, okay? They're going to hear you, and I'm hoping that uh, 2.31 tonight. So we were even up from last week. Praise God. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> let's, let's just pray, God, a bigger room. Let's, let's, let's pray for that. I, I can see us. If we have the room, I'm, I'm not holding God and putting Him in a box. I could see four or 500 people out on Tuesday night or maybe even more. Because I'm telling you what, folks, there is a growing hunger in this church and around this area for the Word of God. People are wanting Bible study. They're wanting to get into the Word of God. They're wanting to hear it. And more people are going to continue to come. Thank you for being a part of that. You guys have been wonderful. Let's close in a word of prayer and I'll let you go right on time again tonight. God, thank you so much for just working with us and reminding us, Lord, um, of what's truly important in life and where our focus needs to be. God, so often we get our focus on what we have and who we are and what we are and our titles and roles and positions and status and all this kind of stuff. And Lord, when it comes all down to it, the God of the universe, all you care about is our heart and where our heart is with you. So God, I just pray before we leave this place or as we leave this place tonight, that in some symbolic way, we would just, Lord, take our heart and we would give it to you and say, God, here's my heart tonight. Lord, I've allowed my heart to, to move away from you and I want to bring my heart back and say, Lord, it's yours. I surrender it to you. Shape my heart. Create in me a clean heart. Create in me a right heart. Lord, just give me the heart that pleases you. And God, go with us tonight. Take us all home safely. And God, just, I can't wait already for next Tuesday. These folks are such an encouragement to me. And Lord, I just pray you would continue to grow our group we're going to figure this out and we, we don't have the wisdom, but Lord, we know that you do. And we ask you'd figure it out for us and just find a place for us, Lord, that we could just continue to just grow and see new people come to this Bible study. And Lord, thank you for Brian stepping up and taking Seth's place tonight and giving Seth a break. And God, I just thank you for all the people who step up and just make all this possible. God, just use it in our lives to continue to encourage us and draw us closer to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I love you. Have a great week. We'll see you later.